Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather together to hear your word and to be reminded of how important it is to check our hearts. Lord, we don't often do that. In fact, it's easier to look at other people, their lives, their hearts, and to judge them. And yet, you don't call us to look at others, but to look at ourselves. So Lord, as we hear of the life of David today, help us to see our life in his, and his life in ours, so that you might shape and mold our hearts to reflect his. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're right in the middle of our sermon series called A Heart Check as we're looking at the life of King David because King David was described as a man who had a heart after the Lord. And we began our sermon series by asking the question, what does it mean to have a heart that is after the Lord? And we said the defining characteristic is to have a heart that is in rhythm with God's heart. That was the first part of what we saw in the life of David, that, that David's heart would beat in rhythm with God's heart. And then we began to ask that question, okay, if that's what it looks like, then what are the specific characteristics of a heart that is in rhythm with God's heart that we need to be aware of so that our heart would reflect God's heart? And the first one was that that we need to be a people who have a heart, a faith that is focused on the promises of God, just as David did in the shadow of Goliath. The second weekend, we looked at David and Jonathan and that great love that they shared because they knew the love of God, that chesed love, that unconditional, faithful love of God, loyal love of God. And as they were fully loved, they could go out and fully love. They were filled with fully love for others. In the third week, we looked at David who encountered Saul in a cave. Saul who sought to take his life. And and in the midst of that, David could have taken Saul's life. And in all respects, no one would have blamed him for that. Saul was seeking to kill him. And instead of doing that, what David did instead was David, in humility, put himself below Saul, even though he was anointed to be king over Saul, and preserved Saul's life in humility, protecting even his enemies, understanding that judgment is the Lord and that we humbly serve as the Lord calls us to. Today... We're gonna look at David in probably the most important characteristic of what it means to have a heart after God. In fact, when the scriptures look at David and what it means to have a heart after God's, today's episode truly defines what it means for you and I to have a heart after the Lord. And in the midst of that, we're gonna ask this question. Why do we constantly need to check our hearts? What is it about our hearts that is calling us to continually look at our motives, our emotions, what's going on inside of us. Why can't we just say, well, we're baptized children of God who are forgiven and claimed by him as the family of God. Why do we have to keep going back over and over and over again? To talk about that, to start that, um, I wanna introduce you, I'm not gonna show it, but to, uh, we have uh, two new members to our family, chosen by our girls, They're not children, don't worry about that. The two new members of our family are two kittens, Vicky and Sophie. In fact, if it was up to our children, we would have 10 new members to our family, but we are not gonna be that cat home. But one of my favorite games to play with our new kittens is this game. I don't know how many of you have ever done this with a cat. This is the only way you can really play with a cat that I have found. It is the laser pointer. Anyone ever done that with a cat before? I love that. 
Like cats do not chase their tail unless you put that laser pointer on their tail. They do not go where you want them to go and sit where you want them to sit because cats believe that they own you instead of you owning them unless you use the laser pointer to get them to obey you. And I love this. One of my favorite things, he's going to do it in a second, is they sit still and I put the laser pointer right on the paw, right there. You see that? And I love this because our cat looks at that laser pointer and I think it thinks it's a mouse and it will start slapping itself. It is just wonderful. Now, some of you, don't send me an email. Be nice to cats. Okay, I get it. But, uh, but I just love this. It causes them to do things they normally wouldn't do, to act in ways they normally wouldn't act, to go places they normally wouldn't go, and you can actually get them to go up on top of a counter and jump off the counter, no matter what is below them, whenever you want them to. It puts them in peril. Can I tell you that all too often in our lives, we're the cat. We are. That there are things in our life that we see little red dots and we are so mesmerized by them that we just can't stop chasing after them. Pleasures, joys, ambitions, desires, successes, pains. And we need to constantly check our hearts. This is why so many people can say, you know what, I've gotten everything I want. My life is so full, so why am I so empty? My, my home is so filled with everything I want. If my home is so filled, why do I feel so empty inside? Or I have everything I want in my career. I have the position, I have the authority, I have the power, I have the company. I have, why in the midst of all of that do I feel so alone? Because... There are many things that we run after thinking that they will fill us, but can't truly do for us what only God can. And there are some times where you and I, we run after things that God never intended for us to have. And we get those things that we think are gonna fulfill us, but then they lead us further and further away from the heart of God. And you and I, we need to constantly check our hearts. More than we check our text messages, more than we check our emails, we need to check our hearts. This is the story of King David. If you want to follow along in this story, you can find it on page 262 in your Bibles, 2 Samuel, starting in chapter 11. I'm going to paraphrase, paraphrase chapter 11, and then we're going to walk through a little bit more chapter 12, page 262. Now, if you were here last weekend, we left off where David is not king, but he's being chased by Saul, and he spares Saul's life. And we're going to jump forward, fast forward in time, Saul is dead now, and Jonathan, his son, is dead, and David has been anointed and coronated king of Israel, and he has been enthroned uh, as king. And in the midst of this, David starts to have victory after victory after victory, driving out the enemies of Israel. He is shown as faithful, he is shown as godly, and you would think, I mean, this is truly a king whose heart is after the Lord. And then you get to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And as we read through this, just imagine as I start to tell you the story of King David in 2 Samuel chapter 11, imagine if this happened today. Imagine if there was a king who used his power to steal a woman that he wanted and have somebody who was married to her put to death. What do you think would happen to that king? 
I mean, that is the stuff of political scandal, of CNN, MSNBC News, Fox News. It's the thing of impeachment. This is the scandal of the country. This is the heart of, and the life of David. So in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we see King David. King David does not go out to war with his army. And there's all sorts of theories why he did it. And it doesn't matter why he doesn't. He just doesn't go out with the army. And, and he's in the palace and he decides to take a walk on his, in his palace up top so he can oversee the kingdom. And as he does that, he looks down and he sees this beautiful woman. And now the issue isn't that he sees Bathsheba. Because there are times where things come along in our life that are not for us to have, not for us to see, not for us to be a part of. And it's not sinful for him to have seen her. He was just walking along. What is sinful is the decision he makes once he sees her. You see, in that moment, David had a choice. David sees Bathsheba and he could have averted his eyes and gone right back into the palace and have just ignored the situation and that would have been what God wanted him to do. But David, in seeing Bathsheba, takes a different route. He goes a different way, his own way. He sees her and then he causes one of the servants to become part of this scheme. He sends a servant out and he says, says I'm gonna inquire who is that person who is that beautiful woman? And the servant comes back and goes, oh, isn't that Bathsheba? That is, that's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So now the servant is going to be a part of what's taking place. He brings somebody else into the scheme, manipulates people with his power. He isn't ignorant. He knows who she is. And then he goes a step further and says, all right, well, why don't you invite her in? Invites her in and sleeps with her and she becomes pregnant. David has decided to do his own thing, his own way, to garner for himself what he wants. Do you know in this text, there's only one reason we know who Bathsheba is? Because her name is only used one time in the entire text. Do you know who uses her name? It's the servant. It's not even David. David just sees what he wants and then he goes after it no matter who it hurts and what it hurts in the process. He runs after what his heart, his sinful heart desires. Well, now Bathsheba's pregnant, so David knows he's got a problem because Uriah, her husband, is off at war. So obviously it can't be his. So David's like, all right, I need a way out. So I'm gonna figure a way out. So the way out that I'm gonna figure out is I'm gonna invite Uriah back. I'm gonna have him be the messenger that gives me the report from the front lines. And so he calls Uriah back, he says, what's going on? And Uriah gives him a report. He goes, that is awesome. You know, thanks for letting me know. He really didn't care, but thanks for letting me know. Why don't you go home and see your wife? Because he figures she go, he, he goes home, sees his wife, sleeps with her. Now everyone thinks that it's Uriah's child, not his. And he gets out of it because he's making his own way. Well, Uriah, who is a, a faithful to his army, to his brothers in arms, says, says, I can't go home. My brothers in arms, they're out in the field. Why should I go home to the comforts of home? So he doesn't go home. So David's like, all right, we got a bigger problem again. Now I got to figure out a second way. So this sin leads to another sin, which leads to another sin, which is he decides to get Uriah drunk, has him at a festival, gets him drunk, says, go home. Uriah still doesn't do it. So now David's like, all right, now I need another way out. So he decides that what he's going to do is he's going to send Uriah back to the front line. But this time he's going to write a command for the commander and he's gonna seal it with a seal because if it's sealed with the seal of the king 
and Uriah opens the seal, then he's under the death warrant. He's under a, a, a death because he did what he was not supposed to do. But if he carries this to the front line, he is carrying his own death sentence. Because David writes in this, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take Uriah, put him where the fighting is fierce and the enemy's most valiant men of, of, of valor are. And I want you, when the fighting is the fiercest, to blow the trumpet, withdraw the army, but leave Uriah out there and have him killed. Do you see how one sin leads to another sin, leads to another sin, leads to another one? And how often is that what takes place in our life? Lust leads to viewing images we ought to not view, to relationships, to affairs, to divorce. The idea of our ambition leads to self-deception that we are more than we think we are, which leads us to undermining others so that our ambitions allow those to decrease so we might increase, to wielding power and garnering for self and acting without integrity in ways that continue to greed, garner what we want. And one sin leads to another sin, leads to another. And so the commander carries out David's command. And he puts Uriah in the front. And when the fighting is the fiercest, they blow the trumpets. And their army retreats, except for Uriah and not just Uriah. If you notice in the text, it says Uriah and some of the other men. Do you see, it wasn't just Uriah who paid for David's sin. There is always collateral damage when we sin. There are always those who are hurt in the process of our sins that we don't even take into consideration. In the midst of a divorce, it's not just husband and wife who oftentimes pay. It's the children. In the midst of a, a boss who acts unethically, it's not just the boss and the company that pays, but oftentimes it's the employees and their families who pay. There is always collateral damage to sin. And so Uriah dies, and the men around him die. And in the midst of that, the report comes back, and, and Bathsheba mourns for the set period of time, and then David brings her into his home and marries her, and David thinks he's gotten off. But if you're reading this text, you're thinking, wait a minute, I thought we said that David was a man after God's heart. What kind of man after God's heart uses others, manipulates situations, murders, commits adultery, hurts other people, causes collateral damage, and wields power in an ungodly way? What kind of man after God's heart is David that he would do all of these things? And we look at this story and go, go I can't believe somebody would be capable of what David did. And if that's what you think, then sometimes we don't know our own heart. This is why we can watch the news and we can think, I can't believe that they did that. Or, or we hear about Christians, pastors, Christian celebrities. This past week, uh, it was a Christian comedian who was all over uh, Christian news about committing some, some pretty grievous sins. You go, I, I can't believe that they would do that. But all of us are capable of that. All of us are capable of the worst of all sins given the wrong circumstances at the wrong times with the wrong motivations. We're all capable of it. In fact, this is what Paul reminds us of. It's one of my favorite tongue twisters in all of scripture from Romans 7. I know I've used it before, but it's such a central passage. I think we need to understand it. Where Paul says this, he says, the good I want to do, I don't do, and that which I don't want to do, I keep on doing. So if I do the things I don't want to do, it is not I who does it, but sin that dwells within me that does it for me. Okay, we're gonna say that together. 
Okay, so what's Paul saying? Paul is saying, I know what I'm not supposed to do. I've read the Ten Commandments. I know God's word and his law. I know what I'm not supposed to do, but I just keep doing it. And he goes, I, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to be ch show charity and be generous and love others and be sacrificial and put others first and, and, and serve in humility. And I know what I'm supposed to do, but for some reason, I just don't do it. He goes, oh, what a wretched man I am who will save me from this body of death. Or Paul goes, I am the chief of all sinners. And you're going, Paul, you wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. What do you mean you're chief of all sinners? Through your ministry, thousands and thousands came to know Jesus Christ. How are you the chief of all sinners? And Paul would say, if you knew my heart, you would know that I'm the chief of all sinners. You see, all of us are capable of anything. Well, David thinks he's gotten away with this. That is, until you read verse 31, or verse 27. And at the very end of it, in chapter 11, it says this, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord is not happy with where David's heart is going. And so the, door, the Lord seeks to take care of David's heart and lead him back from his waywardness. So he sends Nathan the prophet, and Nathan the prophet goes to David and tells him a story. Now David actually thinks that this story is real because you're gonna see it in his reaction. He says, there was a rich man and there was a poor man who both lived in a certain city. And this rich man had many flocks, but this poor man only had one little ewe lamb. And that one little ewe lamb, uh, his kids would play with it and would love it and would care for it. And the rich man had some visitors come to town and he was going to entertain them and throw a feast for them, but he didn't want to use his flocks. So instead, he decides to go and to take from the poor man his one little lamb. He takes it, kills the lamb, and then serves it to those who are there. And before he even finishes, if you're reading this, before he even finishes, it says, David's anger was kindled against the man, and he says, as the Lord lives and the man who has done this, he deserves to die because he had no pity. I think it's interesting that David, who made Uriah carry his own death sentence, proclaims his own death sentence. And he sees that and he goes, goes, how dare that man take what was not his and use it for his own benefit? And what does Nathan say immediately? You're the man. Do you feel the weight of that statement? If not, it's because you're not putting yourself in David's shoes. Because you're the man. You're the woman. See, God says, I have given you everything. In fact, Nathan's going to go on and tell him that your sin, David, is a sin greater than murder and adultery. It's a sin greater than that which you just read at surface level in this text. Because most of us look at this text and go, yeah, David, you should not have murdered, you should not have adultery, had adultery, you should not have manipulated your power. But Nathan says, actually, it goes much deeper than that. You have two deeper sins than murder and adultery. He goes on, he says, says, God gave you all of these things. He gave you protection. He gave you position. He gave you power. He gave you possession. And if you didn't have all of that, he would have given you prosperity. See in the text? He said, I anointed you king of Israel. I gave you position. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you protection. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wife. And I gave you the house of Israel. I have given you possession. And if this was not enough, he said, if you wanted more than that, just ask, and I would have added to you so much more. I would have given you prosperity. It was all yours. All you had to do was ask for it, except you just could not have this one thing. In fact, so what was the sin of David? 
David wanted what the grace of God had not given him. I mean, isn't that what the parable was about? The rich man wanted what God's grace had not given him. And how many times in our lives is that what we want? And our hearts deceive us into believing, you know what, I deserve this, my children deserve this, I want this, and we seek to get what we want no matter what the cost and who it hurts in the process and whatever collateral damage takes place, and instead of being suspicious of our hearts, we just run after what we want because we believe we deserve it. And we want what the grace of God has not given to us no matter who it hurts and what we have to break in the process. And in doing so, he talks about the second sin. It's despising God's word to get our way. That's what he says at the end. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Do you know every time we sin, that's what we do. We despise the word of God. God, I know you tell me that I should honor my neighbor and love them, care for them, support them, and defend them. But if I do that, I'm not going to get my way. So instead, I'm going to break the Eighth Commandment and I'm going to undermine them and I'm going to spread rumors about them and I'm going to make sure no matter who I hurt, I get what I want. God, I, I know I'm supposed to honor my father and my mother, but you know what? I just don't like their rules. I don't like what they have to say. I don't like what they're doing. So I'm going to lash out against them to try to manipulate them. I'm going to lie to them to try to deceive them so I can get what I want. And we break the Fourth Commandment. Or you know what, this person really just angers me and they just get under my skin, so I'm going to use my words to get back at them so I can hurt them like they hurt me and we break the fifth commandment. And when we do that, we despise God's word. And Nathan says, you're the man and you have done this. I know some of us look at this and go, okay, but how does this relate to me? Well, the way it relates to us is this, is that you and I, we all have our Bathshebas. We do. Because what is Bathsheba in this text? Bathsheba is the object that brings the worst out of all of us. It's the object that reveals our heart. It's like this. I saw an image the other day, a, a video of a five-ton truck driving over a bridge. And as it was driving over the bridge, you saw the bridge buckle as the five-ton truck was driving over it. Now, did the five-ton truck create the flaws in the bridge? No. Did it reveal the, the flaws that were already there in that bridge? Absolutely. That's our Bathshebas. It's the things that reveal our flaws before we even know that they're there. I posted on my Facebook page an article written by a, a Lutheran who was talking about the fastest growing religion in America today. Do you know what the fastest growing religion in America today is? It's the religion of athletica sport. It really is. And for some of us, sport is our Bathsheba. It really is. Because we look at people who we know and we've sat across the dinner table from them and we've had conversations with them and then we see them on the sideline of their children's sports game and we're like, who are you? Like, where did that come from? Like, why would you say that? Why would you act that way? And sport becomes our Bathsheba. For some of us, it's our jobs. And we know people, but then when it comes to their ambition and what they want to accomplish and what they want for their life, all of a sudden they act in these unethical ways and you're like, like I would never have thought they would have made that decision until the Bathsheba comes along that is their job or their position or their ambition. And you're like, oh, so that's the flaw in the heart. For some of you, it's a person. 
whether that's a person that causes you to walk away from your family or your spouse, or, or it's the person that gets under your skin and just continually drives you crazy to act out in ways that you don't wanna act, and, and yet that person becomes your Bathsheba. You and I all have that. And when that comes in, whether it's sports or our jobs or those relationships, you and I, in those moments, we need to constantly check our hearts and say, say, am I acting in a way that would honor God and honor the people around me and show the same love to them that God shows to me? Because we're all capable of this. And then when our Bathsheba comes, you and I should do exactly what David did. David said, I've sinned against the Lord. You're right. I messed up. Do you know what the difference is between David's heart and Saul's heart? It's not the cleanliness of it. David and Saul, when you read their lives, they were equally sinful. Their hearts were equally blackened by sin. The difference is that Saul made excuses for his sin. Saul sought his own way. And David repented and turned to the Lord because the Lord gives us a way out for our wayward heart. The Lord does this. David couldn't find a way out and you and I cannot find ways out for our wayward heart, but God gives us a way out. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. What it means to have a heart after the Lord is not to have a heart that is perfect, but a heart that is repentant and seeks out the Lord's grace and his mercy that's willing to say, you know what, you're right. I did not check my heart in that moment. I did not check my heart when it came to that decision. I did not check my heart when I said those words. I did not check my heart when I levied that action against you. And you're right, I need to check my heart. And I need to say, I'm the man, I am the woman, and I have sinned against the Lord. And what does the Lord say in that moment? He doesn't speak condemnation, but he speaks grace. He speaks what Nathan did when he says, the Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. Do you see the heaviness and the amazing freedom of the words that were spoken to David? You're the man, you deserve death. And in that moment, David thought, you're right, and I'm going to die for my sin because the wages of sin is death. And then Nathan said, God has put away your sin, you shall not die. You who are on death row, rightfully and justly, I have set you free from your sin because God and only he gives us a way out for our wayward heart. Isaiah says it this way. I love these words from Isaiah 53, verse 6. Would you read these words with me? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He says, you can't fix it. You can't. Only God can. Only God can give you a way out for your wayward heart. And that is by the grace that he has given to you in Jesus Christ. The cross is our way out. The body and blood of Jesus for forgiveness is our way out. The waters of baptism is our way out. Every time one of our pastors stands up here and says, I forgive you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, God gives us a way out for our wayward heart. And that's why we need to constantly check our heart. So this morning, I wanna give you three questions that I believe will help you to know if you need to check your heart. And it's these three questions. Who is the greatest sinner you know? Who is the biggest problem in your life right now? And what is the biggest problem in your life right now? 
And if you didn't answer, who's the greatest sinner I know? I am. And who's the biggest problem in my life right now? It's me. And what is the biggest problem in my life right now? It's my sin. Then you probably don't know yourself, your heart, and you don't know your sinfulness and the depth of that sin. Because Paul himself said, what a wretched man I am who will save me from this body of death. But as we recognize that I am my greatest problem, I am, my big, I am the biggest sinner I know, and the greatest problem I have is my own sin and brokenness, then what God says to you this day is as you make this confession that I will take your disgrace and I will replace it with my grace. I will take your sin and your fallenness and it has been taken away from you and you shall not die for you are set free. And this is why we need to constantly check our heart. In conclusion, it's just like this. For those who have bad hearts, physical hearts, why do they keep going to the doctor to have their heart checked? So they can know its flaws, its unhealthiness, its problems, so they can have a diagnosis of their heart so that doctor can heal them and that doctor can give them a way forward. And you and I, we need to constantly check our heart so that it can be diagnosed so that you and I we might have a way forward, not on our own, but that we may know that it is God who gives us that way forward as he takes our grace, his, our disgrace, and he replaces it with his grace. In Jesus' name, amen.